This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. I, of course, am Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Later on in this episode, I will be answering a reader question for the first time in a long time. And this is actually an interesting reader question. So the the question, I, I will give you a little spoiler uh, for the question now, um, somebody wrote in asking me to talk about some of uh, the craziest emails that I have ever gotten from readers or or from people about Homer. And actually, um, this story, and this is a true story, is about a series of death threats that Homer received in 2014. Now, those of you who are observant or or who have been hanging out with me for a long time will, of course, recall that, that Homer passed away in August of 2013. So by the time the death threats uh, started rolling in in 2014, Homer was no longer with us. Uh, but this is, again, this is really jumping ahead of things. This is just a, a slight, a little taste, a little preview of what is going to be coming up later on in the episode. But first, uh, speaking of Homer, we are going to transition. We're going to segue a little bit into some Homer's Heroes business. And uh, those of you who've been paying attention to the news, particularly if you are here in the United States, have probably heard about that string of tornadoes this past weekend that tore through, I, I believe it was five states and did particular damage in the state of Kentucky. Uh, dozens of people are dead and there's just been untold property damage and chaos. And of course, as always, this is a situation in which I like to rally Homer's heroes to help because as we all know, human disasters are also animal disasters. And I, I do want to emphasize vice versa. And, and this is one more opportunity for me to pontificate upon one of my favorite, uh, fa- favorite, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I don't want to say scold or, or lecture, but I, I do, of course, every time I, I try to organize any kind of fundraising effort on behalf of a, of a human disaster or a disaster that has affected humans, every time I try to organize a fundraiser for animal rescue, I inevitably get blowback Why you know, to, to the effect of why are you worrying about animals when there are so many people have been endangered, have been harmed, have lost everything. And of course, the obvious answer to that question and, and one that I give all the time is that when you help animals, you help people too. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that nobody listening to this podcast actually needs to be persuaded 
on this particular point. But I do like to, I guess, remind you all about why you are right to feel the way that you do. And it is not that animals are better than people. I, I, I also know that some of you listening are fonder of animals than you are of people and certainly feel fair enough that while many people in your life have disappointed you or let you down, none of the animals you know have ever done so. And I get that. I do. I and it's not that I entirely disagree. I mean, I guess I I cannot honestly say that any of the animals that I've known and loved have ever let me down. Certainly people have, but then of course the animals are at an advantage, right? Because they can't talk. You know, who knows what my cats would say if they could talk? Who knows what sort of political opinions they might be willing to vote in a presidential election exactly the opposite of the way that I vote. They may have entirely different feelings about whether or not the Sex in the City reboot is a good idea. So it's very possible that if our animals could talk to us, we might find them as obnoxious as we sometimes find people. But of course, they cannot. Their silence is golden and it gives them a uh, quite an advantage as I sit here and blather on about a lot of stupid things. I, I guess this would be an example of where the silence of an animal is actually an advantage. But coming back to the original point, I do I, I never do see it as an either or proposition. We help people by helping animals. And of course, the first and most obvious way in which this is true is that in a situation like a tornado where there's extensive property damage, where people have had to run for their lives in a panic, uh, frequently without being able to to take anything with them or to be able to secure their animals before they left. And I know everybody thinks, well, I would never leave my home in an emergency without my cat or my dog. And, but But the flip side of that is that in a situation like a tornado or a fire, sometimes events happen so quickly that you you just cannot do so. And so you end up with a situation where there are many cats and dogs and other pets who are now out there fending for themselves, whose families are, are desperately worried about them. And so the, the work of reuniting people and animals is, I think, as important as anything else that we do to help people through disaster. And that is before we get to situations where people were able to evacuate with their pets and now have nothing, nothing, nothing in the world. They have lost everything they own, including supplies to care for their pets. There are many people who, in the wake of a disaster, are struggling to put a roof over their own head, who are forced to go into shelter situations, or perhaps to stay with friends or relatives who may not be able to take in an animal. And then what a blessing it is to know that there is a rescue organization that can temporarily care for your cat or dog or or other four-legged member of your family during the crisis. You know, what I always come back to, and, and I've told this story many times, so I, I will not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Now that I'm 50, I'm, I'm trying to avoid doing old lady things. So I'm not going to do that old lady thing where I tell a story that I've already told a million times. But anybody who's read Homer's Odyssey or who has listened to this podcast since the beginning is well aware of, of my story after September 11th, how I ended up being trapped away or trapped. I mean, my cats were trapped in my home. I was not trapped per se, but I was unable to get back to our home 
for three or four days. And and at that point, it was becoming something of it wasn't just about my emotional comfort. It was becoming something of a desperate situation because the cats had not been fed or given fresh water in three or four days. And it was an animal rescue organization. It was the ASPCA and PETA who helped me get back to through through the disaster zone and to reunite me with my cats. And I was not going to stop in anything to get back to my cats. So in helping animals, they helped me too. And I was certainly not the only one. It was part of a major rescue effort on behalf of pet owners. And of course, I think it also bears pointing out that just having cats and dogs roaming free in a disaster area, cats and dogs without who are scared and who are hungry and who don't understand what is going on, creates a potentially volatile situation for survivors who are coming back and trying to pick through rubble or begin the process of rebuilding. And it's really for the same reason that we always, on a regular basis, want to have animal rescue organizations helping to take in stray dogs and cats, because really nobody wants to live in an area that is overrun with stray, hungry animals. So all of this, again, comes back to the idea that when you help animals, you help people too. And of course, Homer's heroes are going to try to mount a response to the to these storms, to the disaster that was caused by these storms. Um, we are going to be supporting the Kentucky Humane Society. But I and let me just start out by saying I encourage everybody listening to make a direct donation on their own, either to the Kentucky Humane Society or to any other organization that you may know of on the ground in Kentucky, a, a perhaps a smaller animal rescue organization that is also doing vital work that may be overwhelmed, that may be up to the rafters with, with dogs and cats right now who've been taken in. And if you do know of such an organization, please, please do let me know. I love where possible to support what I like to call the, the mom and pop shelters, right? It's not just big national organizations. Um, I, I understand that, especially in a disaster scenario, that it's it's a boots on the ground situation and the people who are there all the time who live in the community are probably in the best position to know that community and to know what the community needs. But for the immediate short term, and because I have not yet found an organization like that, although again, if you know of one, please email me at gwen at gwencooper.com. We are going to be supporting the Kentucky Humane Society. Again, I encourage you certainly to make a direct donation, but we are also going to be doing a raffle. And I guess this sort of ties in with the holiday season. So, you know, this is an audio podcast, not a visual one. We, we don't do, I don't have a video component. Uh, but some of you who are on my mailing list or, or who follow me on social media may have seen a picture of this already uh, several years ago. Probably about 10 years ago now, uh, a very talented pet portrait artist by the name of Sue Haynes gifted me with just a stunningly beautiful oil portrait of Homer. And the only reason I have not hung it, I, I have received over the years many many wonderful tributes to Homer in, in various media that have been made by fans and readers of the book, and, and much of it is displayed in our home and I have never lived, I guess, in a home large enough to for to display this oil painting as I would like. Not that it's humongous, but it deserves sort of a, a wall of prominence. And uh, we, you know, my husband and I are, are two people and we don't have children, so we don't occupy a 4,000 square foot home and, and never have done so. 
So uh, I have never properly framed and hung this painting as it deserves to be framed and hung. I did raffle it off about two years ago, and the person who won very generously actually donated it back so that it could be raffled again in another in response to another disaster situation. And this was in 2019. So this is the raffle, and we are going to be raffling it off. I'm going to hold the drawing on December 22nd, so that gives us about a week to sell raffle tickets, which are $5 a piece. If you are a member of my Patreon community at the $10 a month level or higher, you automatically have two raffle tickets. So if you are on Patreon, um, you, you, ha- you are automatically entered twice into the raffle. Basically, every raffle ticket is an entry. You can enter as many times as you wish. Um, each ticket, again, is $5 and 100% of the proceeds, except what is required to to ship the painting. Other than that, 100% of the proceeds will go to the Kentucky Humane Society. If you would like to enter, you can go to PayPal. My PayPal email address is gwen at gwencooper.com and simply email me the money for the tickets that you would like to purchase. Again, each ticket is $5. If you would prefer to pay with a credit or debit card, if you don't want to work with, with PayPal, then email me at gwen at gwencooper.com and I can send you a click to pay invoice through my secure payment network. I hope that you guys enter. And also as a reminder, we do I do still have a few hardcover first editions of Homer's Odyssey, My Life in a Cat House, and Love Saves the Day. And I will be donating, and they're $25 a piece, U.S. shipping included, and I will be donating 100% of my proceeds from those book sales to the Kentucky Humane Society to respond to this disaster in Kentucky over this past weekend. So it's a good opportunity to to maybe get a last-minute gift for the cat-slash-book lover in your life or to treat yourself to a little something and to support a good cause at the same time. And if you would like to reserve a book, please email me at gwen at gwencooper.com. And for more information about Patreon, by the way, I I, I give this uh, pitch many times, so I will not I will not uh, pitch Patreon here, except to say that it is a way to support my work and more importantly, the independence of my work. And the support of my Patreon community allows me to do what I do and to take on fundraisers like this and and to be able to donate 100% of the proceeds from activities like this without having to worry that I am, you know, not going to be able to pay my rent or or put food on the cat's table. So if you would like to know more about Patreon, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper, and that's P as in Peter, A, T as in Thomas, R as in Robert, E-O-N as in Nancy dot com slash Gwen Cooper, and you will find all the information that you're looking for there. And on that note, we are going to take a short break. And when we return, I will be answering this week's reader question. So I encourage you to sit back, get comfortable, take a beat and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail.
thanks so much for sticking around. This week's reader letter comes from Jessica Morales, who wants to know about some of the craziest reader emails I have ever received since Homer's Odyssey was first published. And it, it is an interesting question, you know, and I was I was looking the other day and I realized that in the past, I guess, 12, gosh, 12 years since Homer's Odyssey was first published, I have received something like 24,000 emails from readers. This is just emails uh, from readers about Homer and Homer's Odyssey. This is not an attempt to count the sheer volume of emails I have received in general, because I'm sure that would be a staggering and frightening number. But anyway, uh, this is from either from readers or from people perhaps who've, who haven't read the book, but who've seen Homer on social media. Some of them, believe it or not, are from people who've read Love Saves the Day or My Life in a Cat House. And that is the first book of mine that they have read and they had not read anything about Homer or had even heard about Homer. Most of them, though, are from people who have read at least Homer's Odyssey, if not some of my other books. And you know what? It, it kills me. I have, I still have, by the way, I have saved just about every reader email that I've gotten. I, I generally speaking, do not delete them unless they are disturbing in some of the ways that that I will tell you about in a minute. Um, and I always wish that there were some way that I could publish or share them. And there are certain logistical considerations. Obviously, 24,000 letters you would need to be seriously edited and even, you know, to, to be brought down to a manageable number and then just trying to reach out to so many people to get permission to publish a letter of theirs becomes a daunting task. And then there's the fact that it would be very difficult for me to publish these letters without looking like some sort of an egomaniac. Because inevitably they begin with the writer saying how much they enjoyed my work or how much they enjoyed Homer's Odyssey. To me, what is so amazing about these letters, and of course, I'm not going to lie, as a writer, it is certainly the thing that you daydream about when you are sitting down in obscurity, toiling to write your book without an agent, without any prospect of a publishing deal, when all you have is is the dream that someday somebody might want to read these silly things that you scribble onto paper the idea that you might eventually be showered with with a fan mail is certainly one of those very lovely daydreams that that keeps you going in moments when you're you're wondering whether or not it is worth continuing that that you might someday hear from people who feel that their lives were changed or made better by something that you have written is is an incredible feeling and and there's no denying that um but what really to me makes these letters from readers, for the most part, so extraordinary is that once they finish saying, I loved the book, I loved Homer's Odyssey, I loved blah, 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 they then go on very casually to tell these incredible stories about a, a cat that they have rescued or an elderly person who they read the book aloud to. They they usually will share something, even if it's just a minor, I have three cats of my own, two of them are rescues. And, it, you know, it's not always necessarily a very detailed story that they share. But it usually is something, again, even if it is just a very minor, I have th- I have my own rescue cat, I have my own one-eyed cat, I have my own cat who I found in a shelter, who walked into my front lawn, who showed up at the, turned up at the office where I work. Whatever the story is, there's usually something in addition to somebody saying how much they enjoyed Homer's Honesty, there is then something added into that letter that is such evidence 
of kindness and and goodness. And the person writing it usually does not realize it. They think they're writing, sending me an email telling me how great I am, and they don't realize that what they are actually doing is is showing me how great most other people are. And it, it is certainly very good for my humility to to recognize this. But going back to the earlier point that so many people I hear from so many people, it is such a commonly expressed sentiment that I hear that that people are terrible and animals are wonderful. And I always think this is because the stories that we hear on the news are always about terrible people. They are so rarely about wonderful people. Good good deeds and and small acts of kindness very rarely make the news. And yet I I sit I'm sitting here on this trove of emails that that does nothing but exemplify the very common everyday goodness that that most people don't get to see. They they don't get to see as much of it as I do. And so that always makes me wish that that there was something I could do, that there was some realistic way that I could could share this this bounty. I sometimes feel like a hoarder. I'm sitting in and hoarding all of this goodness uh, that really would do the world so much good if it were shared. Uh, but anyway, this, this is all getting off topic. So I, having said that, right? So now I'm I am going to go ahead and, and contradict everything I just said and, and talk about some of the negative emails that I have received, but only because, and and I guess it is true, this this makes a good story. And and I've definitely gotten some oddball emails over the years. Um, I, I got one email from a person who really did not enjoy Love Saves the Day and sent me an email and and said, you know, after telling me how much they hated the book, saying, I and, and I looked at your author photo, and I just had to ask, what are you smiling about? And you sort of like, like, in other words, your book was so bad. What are you smiling about? How, how What do you have to be happy about, given what a terrible book you have written? And so so there was that. And I did once get a very, very angry letter from somebody who had somehow thought they were purchasing the Odyssey by Homer when they bought Homer's Odyssey. And the fact that my name was on the cover and that there was a picture of a cat on the cover of the book and that there was a subtitle that said a fearless feline tale or, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that there were all these clues that indicated it was a book about a cat it just somehow flew right over this guy's head. He bought it from Amazon. And Amazon, of course, will will cheerfully take back the book and refund your money or replace it with a different book of your choosing. So I'm not sure why he was as angry as he was, but he did send me a very angry email accusing me of trying to trick people into buying my stupid cat book by calling it Homer's Odyssey and hoping that they would confuse it with the Odyssey by Homer, and then expressing the hope that both Homer and I would die. (laughs) And uh, it just seemed like a wild overreaction to, I'm, you know, that the retail price of of the paperback edition of Homer's Odyssey is $17 on Amazon. I believe it's three or $4 cheaper than that. So to wish death upon maybe a culpable woman, but definitely an innocent cat over a matter of $13.5 and free shipping seems to me like perhaps a slight overreaction. I'm guessing he probably realized without my having to tell him what a moron he was. And and that was really the thing he was angry about, that it he probably on some level realized that the giant picture of the cat on the cover of the book he had purchased should have tipped him off that it was a book about a cat. And so he had to put all of that onto me to keep from 
putting it on himself. Although, again, it just really does not seem like such a big deal. But anyway, the the big one, uh, the, the actual – I would say I've only gotten a couple of emails from people that I legitimately found disturbing – and one of them came in 2014. And, and just to give a little context, so when Homer died in August of 2013, he had somewhere between 10 and 15,000 followers on Facebook. And, and again, at that time, if online cat influencers weren't really a thing. Instagram famous cats or cat, you know, cats with these huge social media followings were not really a thing. And, and I felt that 10 or 15,000 followers on Facebook was was kind of a big deal. It was certainly a lot more people than I was friends with on Facebook. And when Homer passed away, and, and I posted about it several days after he passed, I, I put a post on, on Homer's Facebook community, and the post went viral, and his page started growing exponentially. We started getting 1,000, 2,000 new followers a day. And within a year, it was up to over 300,000 followers. It's it's now at something like 900,000 followers. But, and that was really, I think, the first time where I felt like Homer was famous. Because although I knew a lot of copies of the book had sold, and there had been newspaper articles and stories and pictures, Homer was, uh, pictures Homer, Homer's <laughs> picture was in Lady's Home Journal and things like that. It still, to me, ultimately felt like he was just our cat. It, it didn't really feel like something that was really happening in my life. Seeing the post about Homer's passing go viral and all of these people start coming to Homer's page was really the first time it felt to me that Homer was actually famous. It's like where it started feeling like some actual meaningful part of my life. And, and it was all happening in real time. And again, because they're really at that moment in 2014, were not a lot of, or, or really to my knowledge, really any uh, famous cats or, or pets, you know, internet famous cats or pets at that point. I didn't have a, a, a framework for it or a context. I, I didn't have anyone I could talk to. There was nothing I could read. There was no primer that, that explained how to manage life when your cat is famous. And and the, the thing that was weirdest about it was that Homer was gone. Homer had already passed away. This this community was growing up around Homer, and Homer himself was no longer here. And so it was a very odd thing. And, and that's almost its own whole separate story, what it felt like for there to be, while I was, while I was mourning for Homer, for all of this to be happening around him, at the same time, was was um, well, it was an experience. I, I I I suppose again, that is probably something best to be talked about at a separate time. But of course, when you get that kind of exposure on social media, obviously, not everybody who is seeing you in their newsfeed, you know, at that point, Facebook and uh, will start suggesting your page to people who have not come to it on their own, who may possibly have never have heard of Homer. And of course, you know, some of them are um, perhaps not as stable emotionally and mentally as they should be. And so there were a couple of people who did not like the look of Homer. They did not like seeing this eyeless cat turning up in their newsfeed. They they found him off-putting or ugly or disturbing or or however you want to phrase that. 
And I got a few unpleasant emails from people who said that I should just stop putting up his picture or who had some some choice words for me or the kind of person that I was. And I pretty much ignored that, especially because at that point, and, and again, this was about a year into it when I started getting some of these not so friendly messages from people. And I had already seen the power of of social media to do good in situations like in response to this disaster in Kentucky. Uh, we Homer's heroes had undertaken some meaningful responses to some other natural and human disasters within that past year and had been able to raise a significant significant amount of money that I, I certainly hope was able to alleviate some suffering and to save some lives and to reunite some people and and their their animals in otherwise dire situations. And so I was not going backwards from this. I was not going to retreat. And I figured, well, you know, you can't make everybody happy, right? There's there's no such thing as, as making 100% of the people 100% happy 100% of the time. And a few cranks and miscreants and, and a couple of not so pleasant emails seems like a very small price to pay for the ability to to build up this community in Homer's name and and to do this kind of good on a large scale. And then one day I got an email um, that contained through the contact form on my website that contained an actual death threat. And and this was in it was either 2014 or 2015. I I I cannot remember now. I could go back and look. But th- th- this was an actual death threat. And the person who sent this email said referred to Homer as a dirty stray and told me to stop posting. To stop, you know, he was disgusted by these gross pictures of my dirty stray that I kept posting on Facebook, and that a cat like that should be dead. And if I didn't stop posting Homer's picture on Facebook, he would make sure that Homer died. And uh, of course, there was a certain irony to the fact that Homer at this point was already dead, and that basically this was a person who was threatening to kill my dead cat. I did not find it particularly funny at the time, and I still don't find it funny, but but there is an undeniable irony to that situation. But of course, it was a disturbing email because it was the first – again, there, the world is filled with cranks, and you have to assume that there are people who just dash things off in a moment of crankiness, and it doesn't make them great people, but it also doesn't make them disturbed or dangerous people. But this is the first one that, that really seemed like it was somebody who – was disturbed who who really was finding it was was himself being disturbed because he was already disturbed he was being disturbed by homer's picture seeing homer's picture on social media and of course the fact that you can just block on facebook anything you don't want to see i I was certainly not going to engage him in a conversation and explain to him the block function on facebook it is always tempting to argue with these people and especially for somebody like me i'm an arguer by nature i was a national champion high you know debater back in my high school days and and that is true i was a a, a national debate champion uh, <laughs> that and nickel will get you exactly nothing of any value but i am a, a by nature an argumentative person and it's always on the tip of my tongue especially when i hear something stupider or ignorant or un, uninformed 
to argue back with the person, and it always takes tremendous willpower not to do so. But in this case, it was also very clear that I was dealing with somebody who was, and there's really almost never a point in getting into it with somebody who doesn't like the way your cat looks or doesn't think blind cats should be given a chance when there are so many quote unquote normal cats in in shelters looking for homes, which was something else that I heard not infrequently that I did a bad thing in rescuing Homer because there were other cats who had better opportunity, better odds to live a good life. And who weren't being rescued. In the meantime, I was encouraging people to to rescue these miserable, blind, unhappy creatures and and generally doing a bad thing. Everyone has their opinion. It wasn't there was no point in arguing with somebody who says something that stupid. But it also struck me as probably in, in the case of this particular death threat, where in addition to being pointless, that it was probably unwise to engage this person. Uh, but then he sent a couple more emails and I and I felt that something it, it it demanded some sort of a response. Uh so there are two things that I about this that I have not yet shared with you, but that made my decision how I was going to respond very simple. The first was that the again he he utilized the contact form on my website and of course, it, it asks you for an email address. Now technically you do not have to put in your real email address, I will still get the message whether or not the email address you put in is a real email address. Uh, But he actually did put in his real email address. And the reason that I know it was his real email address, even though I didn't respond to him, was because it was his name. It was his full name, including his middle initial. So his name was not David Johnson, but let's say it was like David K. Johnson at gmail.com was his email address. His name was not David K. Johnson. That is not, please do not send angry emails to David K. Johnson at Gmail. I'm just giving that as an example. That that was it. And it was a, a distinctly more, unu- it wasn't a, a crazy unusual name, but it wasn't a particularly common name, but it was his full name, including middle initial at gmail.com. And the second bit of information that I have not yet shared with you is that when you utilize the contact form on my website, it captures your IP address. Now, this is information that I never do. I literally do nothing with. I never look at the IP addresses. I don't record them. I don't keep track of them. Um, I I don't really care. Again, I've gotten more than 24,000 emails from readers through the contact form on my website over the past 12 years. And just keeping a database of all those email addresses is, is... expensive and time-consuming, and I am not interested in IP addresses. But an IP address can give you a general physical location, at least for the computer where the message was sent from. So, you know, now in some cases, that may not be particularly helpful. Getting an IP address might get you, if, if somebody's sending an email message, let's say from New York City, and you get an IP address that narrows down their location to within a five-block radius, well, within a five-block radius of Manhattan, right, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people and people in office buildings, and who knows? You're you're still kind of looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, but as it turns out, the IP address for this person was in a less populated area, a distinctly less populated area, than Manhattan, and I had his full name 
and the IP address. And basically, I, I, I can't really say at this point to make a long story short because I'm making it very long, but to bring this long story to something of an end by cross-checking his full name, including middle initial, with the IP address that I got within less than 30 seconds, Google had given me this guy's home address. I actually had, I he owned a, a house and I had that home's address. Also the entire purchase history of the house and how much he had paid for it and so on and so forth. And, and this is all frightening. I did not look for nearly, I just did a Google search. Um, so, but every, just to make everyone aware of what kind of information is out there, it is a little scary, but in this case, it it actually was helpful. And so the point being that I did feel at a certain point, once I'd gotten about three death threats against home where I felt that a response was warranted. And so my response uh, to the gentleman in question was was actually very simple. I did not write a word. What I did was I sent him a Google Earth picture of the front of his house. In other words, I was letting him know, listen, shirt for brains, I know where you live. You're, you're no criminal mastermind. I know where you live. And I sometimes, uh, even to this day, I still wonder what his feeling was upon getting this re- return message for me and, and opening it. And and seeing just a picture of the front of his house, like I what I'm what I always like to think, and certainly hope, is that he had that that this momentary sort of gl- gut clenching moment of oh, <laughs> she she knows where I live that that the jig is up like like the, just for a second he was a little scared because. Although I at no point was ever afraid, I was really never afraid that any harm would come to me. And again, of course, poor Homer at that point was was beyond being physically harmed. I just thought he was a bully and a jerk. And it was obviously somebody who who really thought that that a woman and a blind cat were were easy prey. I, I have to assume that it wasn't that this person was really maddened by the sight of photos of Homer on Facebook, but who decided for whatever reason that that we were an easy target to be picked on and that it would be the easiest thing in the world to scare a woman with with nothing but a blind cat to protect her. And of course, this is obviously somebody who did not know Homer very well or how courageous he was or, or how much I was inspired by his example. But um I don't I don't like bullies. I I never have. And I so I I don't think I would have responded thinking that just to get again there there's no point in arguing and I wasn't looking to engage him, but I I really was hoping in this response that I would be able to give him a moment of of genuine gut-clenching fear. Just a moment of it. Uh, wondering, like, like, are the police going to come for me? Is, is somebody going to come for me? Is is how much she knows where I live? What what is she going to do now with this information? And I know, I know, it, it is not a very nice impulse, and and it is not, uh, it does not represent my better nature. Let's say, but it, it, I, I still, I still kind of hope that I was able to to freak him out or scare him a little bit. I will never know what what he felt like when he opened that email containing a picture of the front of his house. But I do know that I never heard from him again. And it was a good feeling for me. You know, it, it can be a little scary all of a sudden finding yourself 
and again, the, the book was a bestseller at this point. The book had been a bestseller for some years. I had gotten lots and lots of emails from people, but I, I still never felt like I was well-known or like Homer was famous. And it wasn't really until social media, his social media accounts went crazy that it started to feel like that. And it's also kind of a vulnerable feeling, this sense that suddenly lots of people know who you are and know things about you, and you don't necessarily know what they know. And and I don't want to exaggerate this, right? I, I didn't suddenly, I didn't wake up one day and find myself Jennifer Lopez or or anything like that. Um, but it, it was it was unnerving to suddenly be getting unpleasant or angry or threatening emails from people based on nothing other than the fact that they had seen Homer's picture somewhere on the internet. And so it, it it was good to feel that I at least had some weapons in my arsenal, that that I was capable of mounting some sort of a rudimentary self-defense. I, I still wouldn't like my odds in an actual fight with anyone or <laughs> I, I'm not particularly physically threatening, um, but it did make me feel a little safer to know that that I, I could get someone off my back by by uh, by freaking them out a little bit. And I, I felt that it was something that Homer himself would have approved of because Homer was the master of being a very little guy but making himself very big and very scary when he needed to. And of course, the story of the break-in is the classic example of that. And those of you who have read the sequel to Homer's Odyssey know the story about Homer and his final visit to the veterinarian's office. If you don't know that story, it is a great story, uh, but it will be, I guess, a story for another day because we are coming to the end of this week's podcast. So I will thank you all for listening all the way to the end. And I will remind you, please, um, to about the raffle and the oil portrait of Homer that we are that I am offering as the raffle prize. Raffle tickets are five dollars a piece. If you would like to purchase a raffle ticket, you can PayPal me the money for the number of tickets you would like to Gwen at GwenCooper.com. Or you can email me if you'd prefer to pay with a credit or debit card, and I can send you an invoice with a click-to-pay button. The proceeds will go to Kentucky, the Humane Society of Kentucky. I also encourage you to simply make a direct donation. The raffle is for fun, and and all the money will be donated. But you, of course, are encouraged to just go ahead and donate money. Or you can do both, because 100% of the proceeds from the raffle will go to Kentucky Humane Society to help clean up after this weekend's tornadoes. And with that, I will say goodbye for another week. And thanks so much for listening to Curl Up With a Cattail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up With a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name, and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.